what works for the enterprise is everything has to be based on an outbound account-based motion. And so you have to initially teach teammates how to develop signal alert systems for themselves. So what they're doing is actually account selection, account prioritization, and account segmentation. So that, what that means is if I you give me a geographic territory or you give me a vertical, an industry to sell to, not all accounts are created equal. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. Welcome to Digital Marketing Masters. I'm your host, Matt Rouse. And today I have a fabulous guest who's written a fabulous book. Jamie Shanks is on the show. How are you doing, Jamie? Thanks for having me, Matt. Hey, I'm glad to have you on the show. I wanted to talk about two things today. Social Selling Mastery, Scaling Up Your Sales and Marketing Machine for the Digital Buyer is your book. But I know that you've written another book also. And I also wanted to talk about your SaaS product that you guys are working on as a startup as well, because I think that's super interesting. It's something I haven't really heard of before. So it it seems to be like a new category in that sales intelligence market. And uh, so I find that super interesting, too. Uh, But let me read your bio here first so people know uh, who you are. So Jamie Shanks is the CEO of Pipeline Signals, which is a startup SaaS that helps businesses scale their pipeline through relational signal intelligence monitoring by addressing the most common yet unanswered challenges that most sellers have. For the past 10 years, Jamie ran Sales for Life, the world's most extensive social selling training program for mid-market and enterprise companies. Sales for Life has trained over 250,000 sales and marketing professionals in dozens of industries. And Jamie has delivered workshops across six continents for Microsoft, Tom and Thompson Reuters, Oracle, American Airlines, and Intel. Jamie, I want to ask you first, why did you write the book Social Selling? So I actually pioneered and invented the term, scaled up a global curriculum, But ironically, I think it was the year 2015 or 16, I can't remember, Wiley Publishing, they they basically do a lot of Google trending. And they started to figure out that this emerging topic, social selling, was really important to the sales community. And they actually approached one of our business partners, uh, her name's Jill Rowley, and said, Jill, we want you to write a book on this topic. And Jill said, well, I'm not going to write the book. Why don't you get the guy who invented the curriculum to write the book? So she brokered a call and I had, I'll be honest, I had not thought about writing a book and Wiley Publishing sat me down and said, you know, here are the benefits. Here's the scale. Here's what it can do for you. And sold me on the dream. And I decided, okay, over uh, a period of time, I would sit down and I would write it. And so as I wrote that book, My wife basically bought me a week of groceries and a case of beer, and I went up to our lake house, our cottage on Lake Simcoe, and I sat on the dock and I wrote it in a week. Just sat there all day, every day, wrote the book. Wow, that's brave having your laptop on the dock, unless you're like a manual writer, you know? No, no, I mean, it's it's, the dock's got kind of this spot on it where it's like a platform where the, the laptop's going nowhere. That's good. I was at CEX, the Creator Economy Expo in Phoenix a couple of weeks back, and uh, I saw a talk 
by Nora. I can't remember her last name, but her blog is called The Professional Hobo. And she's been living and working abroad for 14 years. And the first thing on her talk was don't put your laptop next to the pool or on the beach. (laughs) Because it's just you don't want to have to get another laptop while you're in Fiji or something. So anyway, I really like the idea of this book. And and it's super interesting how you got into writing it. I think a lot of people, it's it's more prevalent now to write a book than it used to be, right? Because so much self-publishing and there's so much help out there with it. But a lot of times people just like, it kind of seems like a step in the process that just wasn't there before. You know, you'd be like, I I have all this information. I've collected all this data. So I'm going to make a course and then I'm going to train people. And and nowhere in that process does it say you should write a book, right? Yeah. And the thing about a book, uh, and I've come to appreciate it over time. So uh, you could have an entire podcast dedicated to the the perils, trials, and tribulations of using a publisher versus self-publishing. There are very, very stark pros and cons. So I won't get into that. But what is amazing is a book, like content, if you think there's like, you know, I can't remember the names of it. There's something like evergreen content and kind of timely or or, or last forever kind of content. They have these names for them. The thing about a book is it's a piece of intellectual property that A, lasts for years and years, especially if the content inside of it is a set of principles and a set of strategic roadmaps that regardless of platforms or time of the year or what have you, it doesn't really change. So it can last a long time. And it's a sellable asset. It is a piece of intellectual property that inside a business, like a professional services business, you can sell it as part of that transaction. And ultimately, it increases the enterprise value of the company because it, A, creates recurring revenue, and it, two, it is the staple to things like inbound lead flow. So it has many net benefits. Yeah, I found the, the biggest benefit, and not that we're going to talk the whole time about writing books, but I found the biggest benefit when I wrote my first book. I actually crowdfunded my first book like seven years ago now, I think, because I just finished my fifth book. When I walked into a meeting with a client and they have had five or six meetings with other, you know, marketing agencies or SEO agencies, whatever the the case may be, and the other person leaves them a business card, maybe like a sell sheet or something, and I leave them a book, I've already won, right? Like as soon as I set the book down, I'm the guy who wrote the book. So you got to hire the guy who wrote the book, right? Exactly. I I fully agree with that. And that helped with... Social selling, I mean, my name became synonymous with the topic, not only because I helped pioneer the category, but then I became the de facto standard by slapping down that book. And, you know, social selling is is it's an interesting title to the book, because I think what happens is immediately people try to conflate social selling with social media marketing. And that is 100 percent not the case. Right. Correct. Yeah. So social selling, if you think about it, there's two. There's two parts to it. One is an inbound sales motion and one is an outbound sales motion. And social selling, you're doing two things. One is I'm building an online brand and reputation to become a magnet, to attract fish into the boat. The second is an outbound account-based sales development motion in which I am highly selective, planning, engaging, and really targeting who I want to go after 
but I am also educating them through digital platforms. I'm engaging them through digital platforms. But social selling is an act and a sale. It's a motion for sales. Right. And I like that you talk about building a repeatable process, but also one that is scalable to an enterprise level. Because a lot of times what people talk about is they say, okay, well, you know, here's how you can use LinkedIn to get sales. And, and here's a process that you can use. But that process does not scale beyond the idea of reaching more people is the only way that they have scale. It's not scalable as a process that multiple salespeople at an organization could use. Yeah, so this is a huge problem inside the social selling ecosystem of trainers, consultants, wizards, whatever you want to call them. The problem, and, and I'm very fortunate that within the first year of Sales for Life, from the year 2012 to 2013, we went from local Toronto, Canada businesses to winning Oracle, Intel, Thomson Reuters, eventually Microsoft on a five-year agreement. So it taught us instantaneously how the curriculum had to evolve to an individual seller who has a, geo, a geographic or a verticalized territory of 50 accounts, and that person only cares about their total addressable market. And the biggest problem with social selling consultants have been they started building a book of business for themselves. They, they, they grew it out of their basement and they grew a six-figure lifestyle business. And then they assumed that the sales model that worked for them works for everybody. So they would teach people to make content and change their LinkedIn profiles and do all these nonsensical actions. But in fact, that worked for individual brand building for an individual who starts a business out of their basement to create cash flow for themselves. This is not how you scale it to Microsoft. And. I, I guess the the misunderstanding between those things is like, what is that major difference? And I mean, I don't want you to give away everything that's in the book. Obviously, we want people to read the book so that they can get all the information. But what is the difference between tactically speaking, between somebody just trying to get business for their you know coaching business or something versus a one of thousands or tens of thousands of salespeople at an international enterprise organization? The biggest difference is over-indexing on the inbound part of the sales motion. So if you were to look at how 99% of social selling gurus taught is they would teach people to build up their own brand and reputation. And if you build it, they will come. And inbound leads would naturally come. And again, that works for an individual who runs a micro business you will naturally attract fish into the boat. What works for the enterprise is everything has to be based on an outbound account-based motion. And so you have to initially teach teammates how to develop signal alert systems for themselves. So what they're doing is actually account selection, account prioritization, and account segmentation. So that, what that means is if I, you give me a geographic territory or you give me a vertical an industry to sell to. Not all accounts are created equal. There's something called the Chet Holmes pyramid, which basically dictates that three to 10% of a market is actually interested in buying in any timeline within the next couple months or year. 
Well, you have to sift through to figure out who those companies are. So you have to use technology, digital technology, like making a video and sharing it to track buying intent or reverse engineering people that left your happy customer that went into a prospect. Now you have an advocate in that business. These are what we'll call triggers or compelling events, reasons to reach out to a select group of accounts because they have a higher probability of converting than do calling through the phone book and calling everybody. So it's using signal intelligence to figure out where do I aim my guns first? I'll go there, fish in that fishing hole before I start contacting everybody in my accounts. And that part that was was just not taught by anybody but ourselves. And that's how we scaled it to the enterprise was, oh, you're thinking about outbound, not inbound. Right. You know, that kind of triggers my my marketing brain because I've been doing a lot of research and stuff around well, two things actually. A lot of a lot of story based marketing research, which is always a thing that I do. And the other things about Web three, which we're not going to get into today. But hearing that idea, I mean, I have probably talked to thousands of salespeople over the years, and I would say most of them who work for enterprise companies say that their biggest lead generation is people who they had a relationship with who left one company and went to another. Right. And then they want that company to use this awesome product that they used at the other company. They say, hey, look, you've got this problem my old company had. I got a connection. We can get this in. And that's actually, for the most part, is an inbound lead. Right. Because it it came from that. Right. But however, I know that the amount that that happens where the person reaches out to you is rare. Exactly. So the idea of generating that is very similar to a story structure, right? It's like my business day is is going along as usual and then something happened, right? There's an instigating event in every story. And the instigating event is Bob left company A and went to company B, right? And so this kicks off the process of where I now that I know how to how to tell that and which I think is going to be a good tie into to your product, your SaaS product that I wanted to talk about. Then that notification comes in. I know I can start that process and I can kind of take Bob and, and mentor him into getting our software into his new business to solve their problem and get the positive outcome and avoid the negative outcome of them continuing on with whatever they're doing now. Right. So it does have it fits that that story framework really well. So let's talk about your pipeline signals product, because it seems to me, and, and I'm sure this is 100% the case, it seems to me that you just basically took the whole theory and, and, and the program of social selling and have been able to productize that into a, a digital form. Correct. And, uh, and I'll talk to you about the micro to macro problem that, was, that is occurring. So you have a sales professional in Philadelphia and you have another sales professional on your team in Seattle. And they're geographically focused. Person in Philadelphia is working some accounts and they notice that a key stakeholder ups and leaves their customer base in Philadelphia and moves on to a business in Seattle. Sellers are the path of least resistance. So the seller in Philadelphia says, oh, that person is not in my account base anymore. They wash their hands of it. They don't care. And now that's one less person to sell to. And they move on to Seattle. The person in Seattle didn't come into work today, didn't 
develop a strategy to monitor all of their accounts at scale at all times and misses that alert because also the seller in Philadelphia didn't tell them about it. So seller in Philadelphia now needs to monitor who is going to replace that key stakeholder and will they be a friend or a foe to the account. And the seller in Seattle has this beautiful past advocate that is waiting in a potential opportunity, but they'll miss it. So this is happening then at scale because the average CRM depletes, meaning there's so many job changes that people are changing jobs that 3% of your CRM is depleting every month. So over the course of a year, you think about how much that's almost a third of your database becomes irrelevant within a year. What scale, what we're saying is instead of, watching your CRM deplete, why don't you fish where you know you have the highest conversions, which is when somebody leaves a happy customer of yours and goes into a prospect that meets your ideal customer profile, call them first. That's number one. So this is called relationship signals. As well, from a marketer's perspective, by keeping up, by populating your CRM with every new job change, every new promotion, in any account in the world that matters to you. That could be a customer, a prospect, could be white space, it could be accounts you didn't even know existed. Now it starts a self-fulfilling prophecy of fueling your ABM strategy for buying intent. Because how does buying intent work? Somebody checks out your website, somebody downloads an ebook. Well, of course, it needs to correlate somebody doing that action with a record that sits in your CRM. And so the more that you're growing your CRM, with the newest and freshest executives, which are the most natural to create change in a business, now all of a sudden you're also tracking more buying intent signals. So that's what we're basically doing is we are helping buy back your seller's time to find these needles in a haystack of watching everybody go in an account, get promoted, leave an account, and place that intelligence in the place that matters to them, which is your CRM, so that they can just focus on engagement. But that's it's a really simple business tackling a problem that I was training towards for 10 years and recognized that it was Pareto's law. There was only a percentage of sellers that were able to haphazardly monitor their accounts. But at global scale, they were missing tons of opportunity. Right, especially if your product has a very high uh, price point or a long kind of product life cycle, right? That could be tens or hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in some cases. And we're also seeing customers that have high net promoter score find their opportunities and conversions even that more rich. Because when somebody leaves your customer base and you have an extremely high net promoter score, When they get to their new company, do you think they want to shop around for competitors? Do you think that they want to live in the status quo? No, they're going to shake the trees and say, company, like I used to use this solution in my old company. It was awesome. we got to bring it in. And I've worked for, you know, Intel and, and Nike and some large organizations as well. And I've seen that stuff. And it's it's amazingly 
simple to understand when you're in the organization for a while and you see what happens. And a lot of people, I don't think, have have kind of seen the inner workings of these larger companies, right? Especially these, these very huge global companies. Is you go in and you look around and people have been sitting in their desk for 20 years, right? They don't want to change the way that they do whatever they do, right? And and that's natural, right? Everybody everybody kind of likes to get comfortable with how they get their work done and and what their workflow is and the process and and that kind of thing. It's very hard to drive organizational change in a very large organization because everybody gets set in their ways, right? And I I know this. I just wrote a book called How We've Always Done It, which is completely about this topic. But <laughs> and that's why you're trying to avoid those people and focus on those that were brought in to make change. Right. Well, here's the thing is when somebody comes to that organization and they were brought in and everybody's, you know, for the most part, everybody's excited for this new person to come in. And and they're kind of like the person's brought in to make the change. And a lot of times everybody's like, you know, you get kind of half and half. You get the people who are like, hooray, we're going to change this up and we're going to get some new stuff. And there's some fresh blood in here and let's get some new ideas. That makes it super easy to get things like funding approved, get people on board for training, all that kind of stuff. And then if you have the, the, the other half of the people who are kind of your naysayers, right? I call them coasters in my book. Right. The people are just coasting on their past success. They don't they don't want to do anything new. Right. They, they're phoning it in. These are your detractors. Right. It's somebody who is a detractor from from the organization and the person who was the champion of your product leaves and goes to another company. Those people are going to be there with sharpening their axe to get rid of that product or service as soon as they can. Right. So also tracking who's coming in is just as important as tracking who's going out. And I, I know it's it's kind of difficult for people to understand when they're not in a large organization. But for those of you, you know, are medium to enterprise business people, you understand where we're coming from, I think. Yeah. And so that means that there is opportunity and risk going in and out of your prospects and customers every single day. Right. I think it's a huge blind spot. I think this is a brilliant product. Who do you think is going to be for your product specifically? Who is the person at a company that would be implementing this solution? Is it the like CMO? Is it the person in charge of, you know, the sales organization? Who do you think is is your client for this? The buyers have been about 50-50. Half of them have been under the marketing umbrella, specifically around things like demand generation, ABM marketing. And then the other half have been sales leaders who they might also be responsible for pipeline creation. But as well, that chief revenue officer also looks at it on the customer side. And they say to themselves, well, not only are you going to monitor my prospects, but I have to know what's going on in my customers. So, yeah, typically. And then one of the people that's critical to that equation would be revenue operations. So whether that's marketing ops, sales ops, revenue ops, because they're the ones that are making sure that these signals are being routed into your CRM. The right signals going to the right account and notifying the right seller, which is a very simple process. But it's the mechanics of making sure that the sellers get these task alerts that are applicable to them. 
So you have another book also. And the other book you wrote, you wrote it after Social Selling, right? Correct. And it was written primarily because Social Selling Mastery focused too heavily, as, as per my conversation before, too heavily on the inbound motion, not enough on the outbound. And our customers wanted more because my customers almost from day one were the biggest software companies in the world. And so I had to develop a much more overt methodology to social selling within an outbound process. And that's spear selling is the name of that book. It's an acronym that stands for select plan, engage, activate, and reprioritize your total addressable market. So it's the, it's the routine that a seller takes to prospect to go from cold lead, cold, like just cold account to the booking of a meeting. Nice. So if somebody has an organization, they're kind of they're they're starting to build their sales force. You know, they're they're kind of growing from being, you know, what a lot of people may not consider a smaller business, but into that kind of medium sized business range where they're going to have a sales team and a sales force out there. What do you think is the 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 most important for thing for them to focus on if they're building that sales team? You know, my my biasy comes to a saying that one of my old business partners, Joe Rowley, used to always say, pipeline saves lives. And I've watched it in my own businesses where I've built big inbound machines. Um, the pipeline signals were focusing first on an outbound machine. If you do not have sales pipeline, if you do not have adequate pipeline coverage, which means the multiple against the amount of revenue you need to close in the next month or quarter. If you do not have that, none of this matters. You will not grow fast enough. Churn will catch up to you. And uh, ultimately, you will have a stagnant or declining business. And so you have to learn the muscle of pipeline creation, or you can build all the coolest products in the world. It won't matter. That's right. There's no leads coming in the door or the phone's not ringing. Nothing else is going to happen. Jamie, thanks a lot for being on the show today and sharing your knowledge with us. I wish we had more time to talk. Uh, I'm sure we could talk all day, but if somebody wants to get some more information about your book or you or, or the uh, pipeline sales, how, where do they get that? Yeah. So I would connect with me on LinkedIn. This is Jamie Shanks, the only guy that probably looks like this. And go to pipelinesignals.com and happy to help with helping you scale pipeline creation. Perfect. Thanks for being on the show today, Jamie. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. You take care. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Join us next week as we dive into more tips and ideas to grow your business. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.